There's something in the woods using familiar voices to lure children into the woods. I wonder, does that have anything to do with all those missing person cases across the American wilderness? Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dark Prevails, where I retweet skinwalker birds and discuss why Bluey is the greatest family show ever. Today's episode features disturbing demons and terrifying child-stealing creatures. Enjoy, and be sure to send me your scary stories at darkstories.org. I'm looking for scary trucker stories. Also, check out eeriecast.com for more scary podcasts like this. Now, let's begin. Superstition or Reality From Returner0173 I'd recently turned 28 years old and felt a sudden urge to look back on my life. There are people, friends, and teachers I wanted to see again. At least, it felt like that, but oddly enough, I don't remember their full names or their faces. Instead, I decided to look up family I hadn't seen in a long time, since immigrating to the United States. That's when I started to feel unease as certain memories flooded back. My dad's family immigrated to the US a long time ago, which leaves my mother's side back in the Philippines. When I was younger, I would visit them during times when school was out of session. They live on the northern part of the archipelago, in a very rural area called Agoo La Union. The area is surrounded by rice paddies and tree lines that housed fish ponds that also transitioned to more rice paddies, and the home itself is two hours away by foot from the beach if you cut through the rice paddies. The exact memories causing me unease occurred during the only and last full year I'd spent there. It was right before our family immigrated to the US. Due to how the school system worked, despite having completed more advanced subjects, the K-12 system in the US would force me a year back, so the family decided I would go ahead and spend a full year with my mother's family in La Union while they finalized the paperwork and while my mother settled things with her company. All my other visits prior to this had been great. The Spanish colonial style of home was made almost entirely out of some red-colored hardwood, and the furniture looked as though it had been made specifically to match the house. It felt scenic and more relaxing than the modern city life I'd been accustomed to. That made me curious. However, my grandparents and the family that lived there had one rule. Do not try to open a specific room on the second floor, and if you somehow find it open, do not remove the cover of the mirror inside. I never questioned this rule before, but this time around I had a full year, and I was 10 years old. I spent about six months, curious but no unusual goings-on. When I would pass that room, I would end up staring at the door. I'd ask my grandparents about it, but they'd just smile at me and tell me to ignore it. My grandparents are a mix of Spanish, Japanese, and Filipino. I shrugged the rules off as just superstition. The rest of the family told me to ignore it as well, but emphasized to avoid the room. Three months before our flight to the United States, things would begin to change. One July afternoon, I had spent the day with the local kids climbing trees and getting bit by large red ants while trying to get at the sweet fruits called duat or java plums, since everyone else was away doing errands and business. I believe it was around 4 p.m. or maybe 5 p.m. that I went back to the house as my grandparents and cousins were coming home. 
I ran upstairs to grab a change of clothes and a towel, since I spent most of the day sweaty and dirty. I turned right at the top of the stairs to go to this open area. It's kind of like another living room. There are sofas lining the three walls, and the windows right by them were open. I don't remember opening them myself before I left the house to play. There were two doors in there too. If you continue straight from the doorway after turning right from the top of the stairs, those doors would be to your left. The farthest door from the stairs is a room where I kept my clothes. The closer door to the stairs is the one we're supposed to keep locked. Well, when I went through the doorway, that door was wide open. It was the smallest room I've ever seen. It's almost like a closet, maybe slightly wider to fit a twin XL bed on the left side, but there wasn't anything in that room except at the very back was a mirror. I'm 5'11 right now, and that thing would have been at least 6'4", with the wooden frame and all. The mirror itself was shaped like an oval, but at this moment I didn't know that because there was a thick white cloth covering the whole thing. I felt drawn to it, but I remembered that I was not supposed to go in there. The longer I stared, the more unease I felt. I told myself to see if there was anyone else home, but my body wouldn't move. I was standing a few feet away from the entrance of that room, but my mind was racing. I knew I hadn't seen anyone on my way to the house and on my way up. I had to be alone. The more I realized this, the more the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Suddenly, I felt something grab onto my arm. I yelled, freaking out. But it was my grandmother, looking at me scared and worried. I think I may have seen some anger in her expression too. She moved her body so that the view of the mirror was obscured, and she asked me in a very stern voice, Did you look into the mirror? I looked around a bit confused. It was already dark out, but I had only come up here a few minutes ago, when there was still light out. I told her I, I don't know, that I had just got back in from playing outside. As she escorted me downstairs, she apologized that they came home a bit late because the place that hauls the rice we harvest had a problem. When I looked at the clock downstairs, it was nearly 8 p.m. Where had the time gone? I think she may have told my grandfather and my cousins because they all went up together while I was eating dinner. I didn't do anything after that as I was still confused. By the time I went to bed, it was around 12 p.m., when I went back upstairs, that door was closed again. They'd attached something by the doorknob, and a chain was looped through it. This was to prevent the door from swinging inward and opening. That confused me even more, since that still meant someone from the outside could just undo the chains if they wanted to. But I guess they didn't think I was the one who opened the door in the first place. Aside from my grandparents' room and the room I keep my clothes in, which only had one bed for my female cousin... The rest of us slept on bamboo mats with a futon on top that we roll out on the floor of the living room-like area upstairs. There are four of us, ranging from 10 to 15 years old, and I was the youngest. My mind was occupied that night, and unable to sleep until sunrise, I only slept like an hour or two at that point before my cousins woke me up for good. But nothing creepy had occurred. For an entire week, it was peaceful, and I'd forgotten all about it. Then things picked up. Exactly a week later, during an event just after dinner, we were watching a show while relaxing, and I had to use the bathroom. 
The problem was that the house itself had no bathroom built in it. The house had a gazebo or an extended roof to the side. In a way, the front door is a side door, since the front that faces the gate and the road to enter the property has no door, just windows. Once you exit the front door, you turn left for a few feet and right next to the house is a cemented staircase leading up to a door. This is where the toilet was. The height is about midway between the second and first floor. It's like walking up to a throne, which I always enjoyed as a kid. Above the toilet on the wall is a rectangular hole that opens to the backyard, where there was a large mango tree. Beyond that, it opens to a field of rice paddies. While I was on the toilet, I felt a chill. There was something primal inside me that made me sweat, despite the night being cold. That feeling of being watched coming from all over was prickling at my senses. I knew there was no way this was possible, as there's only one opening and it was right above me. I tried my best to act like nothing was happening, telling myself not to turn around or look up. I sat there, my nerves causing my body to shiver. I heard a sound that forced me to bite my lip until it bled to stop myself from screaming. This sound was unmistakably like someone's tongue clicking, and it sounded deliberate. Each sound clicked in threes, separated by two seconds apart, and they grew harder each time. I was trying to finish as fast as I could, pushing the bidet multiple times. When I was finally completely done, I ran out as fast as I could. I'd forgotten to pull my pants up too. It was a miracle I didn't trip. My eldest male cousin, Eugene, looked at me worried. Everyone had gone up to bed while I was in the toilet. Apparently, I'd been taking too long. He was asked to wait for me downstairs. I couldn't explain it to him, but it must have spooked him because he looked out the windows before shutting them. The windows there were made of small rectangular sheets that are lined up horizontally, like those horizontal blinds, and they close much in the same way. He urged me upstairs after shutting them, and did the same to the windows up there before we lay down to sleep. I don't know what time it was, but it was extremely dark. I woke up from this sound, like creaking. I was the second to the last spot closest to the doorway that leads to the stairs. Eugene was the last. I could tell the creaking was coming from the door, because in the entire darkness, a light was coming off from there, and it grew more and more before the creaking transitioned to the floorboards. I felt a pinch on my arm then. It was Eugene facing me. I could barely see his face in the dark, but the moonlight coming through the now-opened room made some of his features more visible. He looked afraid. His head shook side to side as though telling me not to look. He didn't speak but the finger on his lips told me not to make a sound. He closed his eyes for several seconds, then opened them, telling me to do the same by nodding. No words were exchanged, but the way his eyes widened when the creak of the floorboard sounded louder and closer made it obvious. I began to sweat, my chest heaving, but I forced myself not to make a sound, and I closed my eyes tightly. The creak continued moving around the room, Eugene held my arm tightly to make sure I was still there, since he had closed his eyes as well. I kept mine closed, but the anxiety of hearing the creaking sounds moving closer made me tense up. My eyelids were beginning to hurt. I do not know how long it took. It felt eternal. There were no footsteps on the floors each time it creaked, 
but sometime later, clear taps, almost like a footstep but distorted, came from the ceiling, replacing the creaking on the floorboard. A loud metallic creak filled the room coming from the farthest wall. My eyes were closed, but my back was pointing against the source of the metallic creak. The cool breeze let me know that the window had been opened. The taps on the ceiling were right above me. Eugene's hand tightened even more, and I got a feeling that my other cousins were also awake now. They were normally messy sleepers, but they were dead steady. The footsteps on the ceiling stopped right above me, but I could feel that if I opened my eyes, something would be staring right at me, and it made me want to scream. I could feel the breeze from the now open window against my back, and there was a cold brush against my cheek. Then the... The tongue clicks returned, and they were loud, as though whoever or whatever was making them knew we were awake. It came from behind me, and the sound of something hollow tapping on the glass pane came too. As I mentioned, the walls were lined with the sofa, so right by our head a sofa separated us from the wall. The two windows lining that wall right above us creaked. The smell of tobacco hit my nose, followed by sulfur and ammonia. From that same window, I could hear heavy breathing each time the tobacco smell surged. The leaves of the mango tree by that window shook like something was moving the branches. The tongue clicks behind me, the tobacco, ammonia, sulfur smells, and heavy breathing right by my head seemed to go on forever. I was not in the right mind to keep track of time, but I know for sure that it would be a while before the floorboard creaked again. I heard cackling from both directions out the window, then felt an unmistakable cold hand grasping my right ankle. Eugene squeezed my arm then. I guess he could feel me become more tense, and I tried to remain calm, but I soiled myself then. After that, I'm not sure what happened. I know that I spent the entire night awake. When the neighbor's chickens crowed, Eugene set up, followed by the rest of my cousins. They were all drenched in sweat, and so was I. Being boys, they would have surely made fun of me for soiling myself, but they didn't. It was still just before sunrise, but there was enough light for us to move around now. We turned on the lights and ran downstairs as a group, all scared but relieved. The locked room was wide open, and the mirror had no covers on it. When I came around to look sometime later that day, the window panes had scratch marks that weren't there before. The ceiling had scratch marks on it too. My uncle and Eugene were trying to fix the door. Apparently the knob had been completely wrecked, so I was able to see inside while they were trying to fix it. The floor by the mirror, when I first looked in the room, there weren't any scratch marks, but now that floor was covered in them. This experience would continue on, deferring intensity for the rest of the time I was there, especially the feeling of being watched. It stopped feeling like that for a long while, since moving to the US, until I remembered it all recently. Since then, I feel creeped out at night, especially when there's a large mirror and an open window. But it's summer here now, and it feels extremely hot. Now and again, dreams that feel too real about something coming out of a mirror when I'm alone plagues me. I don't know anymore. 
Is it just suggestive superstition, or was it all real? This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Nine Months of Torment from Anonymous Let me begin by saying it's out of my element to write about personal experiences of any kind. I tend to avoid thinking about them for the most part. Now, I grew up hearing voices, seeing or being followed by things that I couldn't put into words, and so as I got older, I would self-medicate with certain substances, as one tends to do when they don't want to face their reality. I say this because it all ties together for this story, I've made many mistakes and I've paid dearly for them. One of these grave errors led to me being sentenced to a federal prison. If you saw me in person, you'd never think of me as a felon or criminal, but many people that find themselves in a similar position rarely look like what you think they would. I went to a federal women's prison camp in Kentucky, which was adjacent to a high security men's prison. When you think of prison, you think of cell blocks and barred doors but in reality, a camp offers you a lot more freedom. We weren't behind a barbed wire fence or barred doors that automatically close you in. There were communal bathrooms, and for the most part, you had free range of the camp, although there were set hours you had to be in your room for counts, etc. A count is when a guard goes through the entire facility and counts you so they can make sure there are no inmates escaping, missing, out of bounds, etc. I came in during the height of the Rona, so a lot of the programs were shut down, and there wasn't much to do but sleep and hope for a good work assignment, which would help you pass the time. My first experience wasn't as horrifying as my others, but it was still very unsettling. At the time, I was of course on edge. I was entering a prison with other women, forced to live in a tiny room with 12 other people that you don't know, and who was to say what they were there for or what they were capable of to begin with? I was sleeping on the top bunk which was next to the wall with my back facing the room. One night, I felt a tap on my shoulder. I assumed it was someone asking me something or trying to offer me something, as some people there would offer to try to peddle smuggled cigarettes or pills in exchange for commissary items. So I pretended to be asleep and ignored it. Something tapped me again. I groaned and turned around, waiting for my eyes to adjust, but no one was there. 
I swung my head down to look below at the inmate sleeping under me, expecting to find them giggling and being childish. I assumed someone was trying to haze me as I was the new inmate in the room. But she was sleeping softly, snoring along with everyone else in the room. As you can imagine, it's not a quiet place, even in the middle of the night, with everyone sleeping around you. I turned back over, trying to fall asleep. Right as I felt myself fading out of consciousness, something which felt very much like a hand forcefully placed its palm on my shoulder instead of the light taps I felt before. This jolted me awake, and I turned to nothing again. After that, I never slept with my back facing the room again. It was always strategically placed against the wall, so I wouldn't be tapped or grabbed anymore. Now, although there was access to substances at this facility, I was sober and very clear-minded. I'd finally made the decision to get my life together, but I'd almost forgotten what sobriety also brought back into my life. After gaining some bearings and observing my fellow inmates, I felt comfortable enough to ask someone what they may have experienced in this facility. I was told the camp used to be an old drug farm back in the 1920s, where people that maybe smoked up a little would be admitted involuntarily and subjected to torture-like experiments, such as getting them addicted to other substances and then taking it away to see how they would react. Many people died in the basement of the facility which now housed the gym and the library used to be the morgue. My next experience was a shared one. I was growing restless, and with my newfound sobriety, I wanted to get healthier in different ways. I wanted to start going to the gym. I found someone closer in age to me, and we started to work out together. The basement was sort of separated in different wings with the main common area for the library. Pretty much anywhere you went, you could find a group of inmates playing cards somewhere. There was a group in the common area, and the gym was down the wing. We would close the doors to the hallway as the women playing cards were usually loud and excited about spades or rummy or whatever they may have been playing. Another girl and I were lying on the floor on a yoga mat, waiting for our next set to begin, when the lights started to flicker on and off. This was an old building. When lights flicker, I don't assume it's something supernatural or paranormal. I assume the place is falling apart, and they refuse to fix anything, so we ignore it. We keep working out, then again the lights flicker while we're resting in between sets. We certainly heard a D-man's cackle. It sounded sinister, and the lights went completely dark while we were lying on our backs on the floor. It was so dark, in fact, you couldn't see two inches in front of your face. That's when we began to get scared. We froze there for a moment, not saying anything because we both didn't want to acknowledge the man's voice. There were guards in the facility, male guards as well as female, but they were serious and not to be spoken to or messed with. They wouldn't play pranks on inmates. The lights finally came back on after what felt like hours, but it was probably only about two minutes, and we ran out of the gym then into the common area where the women were still playing cards, like nothing creepy had just happened. We asked them if they flickered the lights on and off, or if they lost power in this room too, but they just looked at us confused, slightly annoyed too that we were interrupting their game. Time passed and more small incidents kept occurring, but it almost reminded me of my childhood, how I just kind of had to get used to it. One night I woke up having to go to the bathroom. It was probably close to 3 a.m. I got my toilet paper and walked to the communal bathrooms, which had some stall doors on them. Some only had shower curtains to block them. 
Some stalls had nothing, and people used them anyways. Prison takes away lots of things, but one of the most treasured that you don't even think about would be privacy. While I'm using the restroom, I hear footsteps enter the bathroom, and the rustle of the shower curtain being moved. I'm not concerned at this point, more so curious, because it's rare for people to be up and moving around at this time, especially so close to count. But I just assumed they have to use the bathroom just like me. My curiosity led me to bend down to peek at the feet of my neighbor, but when I do, I see almost blackened feet, crusted with a dark brown gooey substance that looks like blood. The toenails were cracked and bleeding, the heels were scarred and hardened. This was not normal. It was common sense to make sure no matter where you go within the prison, you wear shoes, as you could get athlete's foot, especially in the bathrooms. And even so, why did this person's feet look like this? They must have been in agony. It took me a minute to register what I was seeing. I looked up, kind of confused. Then this deep sense of dread washed over me, and I felt extremely heavy. I looked back again, at my neighbor's feet, but I didn't see anything. No one was there anymore. I quickly ran back to my room, silently praying the thing with the mangled and bloody feet did not follow me into my cell. Things kept happening to other women. You would hear the stories that were passed down to one inmate to another, which were always embellished, and you could tell when someone was adding something or flat out lying, just to tell a story, as a woman's prison is a very gossipy place, for the most part. I met this one girl, who was fairly new. She had been designated in this area known as the bus stop, to sleep and essentially live with about 40 other women in a common area on the other side of the camp. She looked ragged, like she hadn't slept in years, but she was so young. She told me one day that every time she fell asleep, she felt something hold her down by the throat, and it wouldn't let go. That's why she never slept. Although this isn't part of my story, I could tell something was tormenting her. She looked broken. Someone so young. Obviously, she had made a mistake or two to be here, but still she had a life left to live and a chance to change. But she looked just absolutely broken. After some time at this facility, I got a good work assignment that allowed me to be moved to a more private two-man cell that was very coveted, but only available for early morning outdoor workers. I was happy to gain more privacy and only have to deal with one other inmate as a roommate at the time. She was an older woman that, from what I understood, had been sentenced to prison for murder for hire as she tried to hire someone to get rid of her abusive husband. She was kind, but a little odd. She, for the most part, could be found playing cards with her group of friends. At one point, she got the Rona and had to be moved to a different wing to quarantine. Now, it sounds horrible, but I was so excited to have a room to myself for two weeks. She was in good health and not in any danger of getting sicker, but the idea of just being able to change freely and sleep without being awakened by someone else was awesome. This sliver of freedom made me feel so happy but I probably slept six hours total in those two weeks. Anytime I tried to sleep, my bed would start to vibrate. The entire bed just shook uncontrollably. It was so scary because it wouldn't stop even after I woke up. I would see shadow figures on the wall from the hallway. I felt like I was constantly being watched, and I just couldn't fall asleep for fear of being shaken awake. Towards the end of my sentence, I had been there for about eight months and I was due to be released in a month for good behavior. 
I had a light sentence and was feeling very excited for my newfound sobriety and fresh start once I got home. I had a dream. I've always had dreams that one could say are almost like a fever dream and somehow end up coming to fruition, or like a feeling of deja vu for me. In this case, I had a dream that I was home, the best kind of dream. I was home and I was sleeping in my big comfy bed when I heard a gunshot. I woke up in the dream and I looked around. My partner, who I was still with while imprisoned, was gone from my side. I went frantic in the dream, looking all over the house for him and then the garage. When I got to the garage, I saw a body lying in a puddle of blood, but it was behind the car so I couldn't see anything but the knees down. I woke up in real life, crying uncontrollably, which is not common for me as being in prison kind of made me very unemotional. I didn't feel comfortable crying or showing any sort of weakness there. But I couldn't stop. I was horrified. I had to call my significant other. I had this horrible feeling in my gut that something bad happened. We have specific phone times. We can only use the phone within our specific wings or blocks time, because of Rona mostly. But it wasn't yet our time to use the phone. I begged one of the counselors to use the phone, and for the most part they would normally say no, but I think he could see something was wrong in my eyes. He could tell I needed to use the phone, and he allowed me to. I quickly called and confirmed my partner's safety. I promised I'd call later during my phone times and just hearing their voice and knowing they were okay was all I needed. I went to talk to a group of girls that I had befriended during my stay to just get this off my chest and move on with the day. One of the girls that I was friends with was in the office, which is usually serious. We found out it was a family emergency, so we waited for her to come back, then we could be supportive. Nothing is worse than seeing someone lose a family member in prison, not being able to be there for them. I've seen women lose children, and the wailing cries and screams you can hear throughout the camp is one of the worst sounds I will ever hear in my life. We were waiting for this friend when she comes out and just bursts into tears. She said her brother had shot himself in his garage. When I eventually told the women about my dream, they turned and looked at me, shocked. Apparently, what I had just described to them was apparently what had happened. We all went into overdrive, trying to comfort our friend while thinking about the dream at the same time. Prisons have a lot of history, and I think it's safe to assume there's something nefarious going on in most of them beyond the realm of the living. I've been out for over a year now, and my life has completely turned around. I'm sober, and occasionally I have instances where the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, but I take it as a warning, and I follow my instincts, instead of trying to drown them in substances now. Although all of these experiences were horrifying, I didn't feel like I was ever in grave danger. For the most part, it felt like something or someone wanted to be heard, or acknowledged, but there was something else there that was more malevolent. Something that seemed to feed off the sorrow and pain of the inmates. Something lurking and watching. Always watching. Demonic Lady From Rosie Gone Rosie I was around eight years old when this happened. I had been living temporarily with my aunt, uncle, and their children, or my cousins, at the time, for reasons I will not go into. I remembered I'd been sitting on the bottom bunk. I was reading one of my favorite books at the time. I never really felt comfortable being in a room by myself when I was younger. I always felt there were these presences in the same room as me. 
My parents had always chalked it up to me being clingy or having a bad dream. But on this occasion, the air went still, and I had this weird feeling that something or someone was watching me. So I shut the book and looked up. My heart began to pound like a drum when I saw who had been watching me. It wasn't a who, though. It was more like a what. A demon-like pale white figure was staring at me from the top bunk. Chills filled my body, and I was paralyzed with fear. I shivered, not from being cold. It was from the huge amount of fear I was feeling at the moment. This woman had pale white skin that was the color of fresh snow. She had raven black hair, and her entire eye was black, like a demon's from one of those supernatural TV shows. She opened her mouth wide and showed off her sharp teeth, which resembled what a carnivore's teeth would look like. Our staring contest we had seemed to go on for a minute or two before the demonic-like creature began to speak. Do you want to play a game? The creature asked in a distorted voice. I shook my head, terrified. The creature growled, and it seemed to lunge at me. I closed my eyes, and when I opened them again, that demonic woman, more like creature, had vanished into seemingly thin air. It should be impossible that someone or something could just disappear that quickly. I shoved my book to the side and raced out of the room. I told my cousins and siblings what I witnessed. They assumed it was just my overactive imagination. I'm 18 years old now, and I still think about it every now and then. I tried to research what the creature was, but I had little to no success. Hopefully it was just my mind playing tricks on me. Whatever it was, I certainly don't want another encounter with whatever the heck it was. If it hadn't disappeared, well, it would have eaten me, I guess. And that makes me feel rather unnerved. Skinwalker in the Upper Peninsula From Game Shark Back in the early 90s, my parents bought some land in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan on Lake Superior. It was about an hour and a half from the closest town, which was a sleepy town with one grocery store, gas station, and a church. My parents hired some construction workers to build an A-framed cabin. No running water, no electricity, basically a wooden tent. I remember being about seven or eight, watching the construction workers build the cabin. One day, I learned that one of the friendly ones was really good at impersonating Donald Duck. He did some impressions and made me laugh. Soon, they finished their lunch break and turned to resume working on the cabin. Not too long after, as I was watching, I heard a Donald Duck-like voice behind me, telling me to come into the woods. I turned around, wondering how that worker could make his voice bounce around like that to make it sound like it was coming from behind me. There was no one behind me. I turned back, looking at that same worker, busy with the cabin. Then I looked back. I began to wonder if I'd actually heard what I heard. Then I heard it again. That silly sounding come into the woods. This time, however, the birds stopped chirping, and the forest fell silent. I know I shouldn't have but I began to walk down the driveway of the cabin, which was nothing more than some dirt divots in the grass at this point. I heard it again in the same Donald Duck voice, come into the woods. I walked a little down the trail leading to our driveway. I heard it once more coming from the woods. 
I contemplating going into the woods to check it out. I was curious and wanted to know where the voice was coming from. But then I imagined my parents' voices. Don't go into the woods without an adult, they would say. So I stayed put. Suddenly, I heard the voice repeat once more, but this time it was harsh and angry and stopped sounding too much like Donald Duck. Come into the woods. It was then that I noticed something weird. Ahead of me stood a deer deep in the woods. It was staring right at me. Oddly, I started to feel really uncomfortable. I was gripped by fear that I'd never felt before. I turned to walk away then, to get away from what was causing this fear which seemed to be coming from the woods, maybe even this deer. A few steps later, I heard the voice once more. Get into the woods. The voice was so disturbing. I began to run now, and when I looked back one more time, I swear I saw that deer, except now it was standing up on two legs, still watching. When I made it back up to the cabin, my heart was pounding. I quickly ran up to the worker who made that voice for me, and I asked him, how did you make your voice come from the woods like that? He made a perplexed face, then said, I haven't made that voice since lunch. Must have been hours ago now. I didn't respond. I was shocked. Who had made that voice? How could I have been gone for hours? It couldn't have been more than a few minutes. I looked up and he was right. The sun, which had been high in the sky at lunch, was now beginning to set. That worker didn't impersonate Donald Duck again, and I was at a complete loss of what happened or where the time had gone. I had no idea what it could have been, and it wasn't until recently that I learned about the legend of skinwalkers. Maybe that's what it was. I'm glad I listened to the thought of my parents that day. Otherwise, I could have been lost or worse. Warning. The following story contains depictions of violence against animals, specifically a stray cat. It followed me home. From D. Allen. I was 13 at the time. My parents were divorced and I'd often spend weekends with my dad. He and I usually went out on Saturday evenings, so we'd come back pretty late. However, this Saturday evening would stop me from wanting to go out late for a while. That Saturday night, my dad and I stayed out relatively late. We were driving back to the house. My dad lives in a small house around the edge of town surrounded by woods and our vegetable garden. We were about five miles away or so from the house. We were driving through a heavily forested area, so you would expect to see some wildlife. I was looking out the passenger window when I saw out of the corner of my eye a large black figure. It approached quickly, and soon it darted right in front of the car. It ran from the passenger side to the driver's side, so I knew my dad saw it as well. He immediately hit the brakes. As soon as we stopped, I looked over at my dad. What the heck was that? I asked. I don't know, Danny. Whatever it was, it's gone now. My dad replied. Shaken, he pressed his foot on the gas again. After we were back on the road, 
my dad and I began to discuss what the thing that ran across the road may have been. He suggested it could have been a deer or a bear. But we don't have bears in our neck of the woods. I knew it couldn't have been one, but I kept my thoughts to myself, so my dad didn't think I was crazy. Before long, we were pulling into our driveway. We were just about to get out of the car when my dad and I noticed something lying in the yard. The two of us steadily walked over to whatever it was. As we inched closer, we noticed that it was brutally slaughtered, entrails and blood scattered all over. As we closely examined the thing, we soon found the head of a stray cat lying nearby. We had a lot of coyotes in the area, so my dad concluded that the damage must have been caused by one. But I wasn't convinced. Why would a coyote rip it apart and just abandon it? This was fresh food for it, so it spent all that energy chasing and hunting this cat, and it didn't eat it? I dismissed this thought, and we went inside. After we'd gone to bed, I found myself unable to sleep. My mind was flooded with the disturbing sight of that brutally killed cat. I guess what haunted me the most was the fact that its head was clawed right off its body. That's not the kind of thing you just forget. As I quietly panicked in bed, I suddenly heard a tapping sound coming from my window. My bed was next to the window at the time, so I could see and hear almost everything that went on at that window. Slowly, I turned my gaze to the window, and what I saw still haunts me to this day. There was a large black figure. I think it was the same one I'd seen from the road, or another one like it. It had pointed ears, and it also had a face with a snout like a dog or wolf. Its amber eyes were mesmerizing. It felt as if it was staring right into my very soul. It had large paws, but they looked more like hands with long, clawed fingers. The thing was crouched down like a person would do, and it was peering in at me from the window. I was horrified, but curious. I wanted to know what this thing was, but then a familiar word came into my head. The one word I knew that could describe this thing, Dogman. I'd read and heard stories about them online, but I never actually thought I'd see one. They were just fiction, right? What I was seeing couldn't possibly be a real-life Dogman. I stared at it for a while before it suddenly raised its hand. It put its hand on the glass, as if measuring the thickness of it. It began to scratch on the window, and my blood ran cold, as I realized it was trying to find a way to get in. I felt like screaming, but I couldn't. I wanted to jump out of my bed and run to the next room and get my dad, but I couldn't, and I knew he probably wouldn't believe me if this thing was gone. So I stayed there, paralyzed with fear. It must have been hours, or at least felt like it, as that thing kept clawing at the window. Eventually, it grew bored, I guess, and it stopped. It rose to a startling height of seven or eight feet. It then turned to me, baring those teeth in frustration, as if to say, I could have gotten you. Then it turned around and ran off towards the tree line. I tried to sleep after that, but the howling and screeching coming from the woods kept me awake. After the longest wait of my life, morning finally came. 
I'll never forget that night, no matter how many times I try. Sometimes I still wonder what could have happened to me if that window broke while that thing was tapping on it. I haven't seen that thing since or anything like it, and I hope I never do. Be careful, anybody who goes out into the woods after dark. Lieutenant Dan's Enemy From Satan's Bay This incident happened about two or three years ago. I moved to the reservation with my at-the-time boyfriend. We got a puppy from my family, and we named him Lieutenant Dan. Through the year of raising him on the Navajo reservation, he became a good guard dog, especially when we needed a brave dog. We would take him to the range to get used to the sound of rifles being fired, especially because the res isn't 100% safe from humans or the supernatural. After he was about two years old, we one day woke up to him and my smaller dog barking in the dead of night. We knew after training and teaching him, he had certain barks for different scenarios, mainly because we also have a problem with wild dogs. But that night, his barking became more concerning. We thought maybe wild dogs were getting a little too close to our goats. So then my boyfriend got up and grabbed his rifle with the flashlight to check. The next thing I know, he's calling my name. I grabbed the spotlight and ran outside. My boyfriend told me to point the light to where Lieutenant Dan was looking. Dan wasn't breaking his gaze. He was about 50 feet away from a big bush. I moved the spotlight up, and there stood a tall black figure. This figure was like someone wearing a pitch black cloak with no face, no limbs, and no distinguished form of human. Lieutenant Dan didn't even go near it. When we had strangers on the property, he would run after them, but this, this he kept his distance from. After I stood there for a long time, exchanging words with my boyfriend, trying to figure out what this thing was and if it was even a person, why didn't the figure run away? After all, at this point, there was a big dog and a rifle pointed at them. And why wouldn't Lieutenant Dan run at them? After we decided this was no person, my boyfriend took aim and fired. There was a flash from the muzzle, and the next thing we knew, the figure looked like if someone unpinched the top of a sheet and just dropped behind the bush. After we could even start walking, Lieutenant Dan ran to the spot. Once we made it there with him, to our surprise, there was nothing. No footprints, no body, just nothing. We decided we'd check again in the morning, so the next day we do go out and check. Still nothing. But for some reason, Lieutenant Dan wouldn't even get close to the spot. We never found out what that thing was. And to this day, even though Lieutenant Dan isn't in this world anymore, and I'm no longer with my now ex-husband, we never forgot that night. And we'll never forget Lieutenant Dan. That thing was and forever will be Lieutenant Dan's enemy. What is stalking my house? From Luna1026 I live close to a lake. For reference, I'm about 10 to 15 minutes away from town. I stay with my mom and dad in Illinois because of health issues. Since my parents moved, they have found shoeless footprints in the snow and mud. They've also heard some strange noises as well. I moved back home with them after they had been there for a year. The first night I was there, 
I walked with my mom to the chicken coop to get some eggs with her, and we both heard this knocking sound and other weird noises from the woods. The woods are about 200 feet from the coop, and the coop is about 200 feet from the house. About two weeks after my arrival, the first snow hit. I was going out to get the eggs again one day with my dog, a Shiba Inu. I had her on a leash, and she kept looking into the woods, growling. Mind you, she was never one to growl like that. She is an all-around sweet and goofy dog. Once I got to the coop, I found about five footprints in the snow, all barefoot, and they were far too big to be anyone from my family. There was also a broken egg on the ground outside the coop. Two months later, we found out that even though all ten chickens were laying, there would only be about four to six eggs a day. This is ongoing. We now have 14 chickens, but they'll only lay about five to eight eggs a day now. A year after that, about the beginning of October of last year, I was sitting out on the gazebo. It was about six o'clock at night, dark out, and I was reading a book on my phone enjoying the weather. On that side of my house, there's this horse pen, and right behind the house is a vast field of cows. There's also the garden with a tree beside it. I heard some noise close to the garden and horse pen, so I closed my phone and looked up. I noticed the horse was not out, nor were the cows, but behind the tree, which isn't that thick, there was something peeking out from behind it. Not thinking, I called out, assuming it was my dad trying to prank me. I was very, very wrong. A large humanoid-type creature, covered in fur, took off running to the cow field and jumped the electric fence. I could hear the steps it made and the jump. That electric fence is over four and a half feet tall, mind you, so I couldn't even think of a person who could jump it. I ran inside and told my dad something ran into the cow field. We both went out with flashlights, since the cow field didn't have any lights near it, and to the side of that cow field is the woods closest to the chicken coop. We couldn't find anything, and we saw nothing for a while after this. April of this year, we put up a big fence in the backyard for my dog and my parents' dog to go out, and for us to not worry about any raccoons or coyotes trying to get them. About mid-April, my dog needed to go to the potty outside. It was dark already, and at the time the back floodlight wasn't working. So I grabbed my big flashlight and checked to make sure no skunks were out close to the yard. As I was shining it around, I saw a yellow eye shine. It wasn't small. It was big, and it was at least seven feet off the ground, close to the chicken coop. My dog began growling, trying to get outside. I slammed the door shut as I went back in. Then in May, we were puppy-sitting for a friend of mine for a few days at our house. One early morning, at about 3 a.m., the puppy needed to go out, so I grabbed my flashlight as usual, despite the floodlight we have which senses movement, and I scanned the surroundings looking for eye shines. I then see over by the woods the same eyes as before. This time the moon was full, and I could see the thing's fur, which was slightly red-brown. It was once again staring straight at me. I ran back inside with the puppy in my arms still. The following day around sunset, my mom took her dog, my dog, and the puppy into the backyard to use the bathroom. My mom looked over to the same area, and she sees something, 
At first, she believes it's a cow out by the fence. She doesn't give it a second thought until she happens to look over again. She says she let out a, what in the world? I was in the garage getting a dog toy for the girls to play with. I came out and I look over. The sun was still out and that thing was in front of the tree about 30 feet from the end of the fence. It was kind of hiding by the brush pile, just staring. We quickly grabbed the girls and booked it back inside. We had my dad go out to see what it was. I got a better look at the creature that time. It had a flat face. It stood on two legs with reddish brown fur and it was easily seven feet tall. It scared me with how close it was and the fact it was there in broad daylight and it took that long for us to really notice it. It blended in too well. For the past few nights, I've heard knocking and this inhuman screaming sound around 3 a.m. I've seen the floodlight by the coop go off and I've seen something hiding behind the coop. To be honest, I'm beyond scared. The screams are close now. They sound like they're outside my window on the second floor of my house. I do not know what it is, but I needed to get this story out there. Maybe you could help. I've heard of Bigfoot in the area, but I don't think one would stalk my house like this. I'm not a skeptic, but this is the first time a creature like this has shown up in my life. You may not believe this, but this is happening at my house. I plan to put a trail camera out soon and hopefully I'll catch something. Wish me luck. The Fire Alarm From Gryffindor 92 This happened about a year and a half ago. I was with my boyfriend, we'll call him Floyd for this story, staying at his parents' vacation house in Florida for a few days. Now, this is a really nice, cozy house, but for some reason it still gives me the creeps. The previous owners were a family. The previous owners were a family. The husband apparently was in the Polish Navy, and they had a son. We've heard rumors from the neighborhood that he died in that house. Anytime my boyfriend and I go there without his parents, I always hear weird noises coming from the hallway near a guest room. Sometimes we hear shuffling, and once I went back inside to take out the trash, and I heard, psst, coming from the hallway. Okay, back to the main story. That day, everything was normal. We hadn't heard anything weird or creepy. Usually, Floyd would stay up in the living room playing video games, and I would hang out on the other couch, sometimes until I fell asleep. This night, however, we had gone to the gas station around midnight. Around 3.30 a.m., we were getting ready to go to bed. Floyd asked me to check to make sure all the doors were locked, so I did. When I went back to the living room, I noticed the garage door was slightly open. I thought it was weird, but I thought maybe we didn't close it all the way when we came back from the gas station. Anyway, we went to bed in his parents' room. They have a bigger bed. And as I was falling asleep, I heard knocking coming from the sliding door in their room. I thought it was my boyfriend messing with me. After all, he likes to scare me all the time. So I said, Floyd, stop messing around. But when I turned over to look at him, he was sleeping. There was no way it could have been him. A couple of minutes later, I heard the same knocking sound. This time I got really scared. I looked around in the dark room but didn't see anything out of the ordinary. But I felt uneasy, like there was a presence in the room with me. I tried to go back to sleep, 
but I had this creepy feeling someone was watching me. After tossing and turning for a while, I finally fell asleep. I was later woke up by Floyd at around 5.30am, saying, Did you hear that? I jumped up and replied, No, what are you talking about? But then I heard it. The fire alarm was going off in the hallway in front of the guest room, saying repeatedly, Fire detected. I have never jumped out of bed so fast as I did that night. I turned on the light in the room, and Floyd went to check around the house to make sure we hadn't left anything on. We checked everything. The stove, the gas grill we used earlier. But nothing had been left on. He even went outside to the front and nothing. F called his stepdad to ask what it could have been, but even he said that was weird. There was no way the fire alarm should have just gone off like that. Plus, the batteries were new, so it wasn't the batteries. To this day, we have no idea what set it off, and it still gives me the creeps just thinking about it. We still go to that house from time to time, and we haven't experienced anything like that again, aside from random noises. A Walk Home From Anonymous this happened to me and my sister, Maisie. It was back in 2009 or 2010. I was 17 years old. My sister and I had a very strained relationship for most of our childhood. She's four years older than me, but at the time we had worked on our relationship and were in a good place. My favorite place back then was the field. The field was actually a baseball diamond. The diamond was sunk in the ground so you couldn't see inside it from the busy road next to it. The church right next to it owned that field. I loved going there and lying on the hills and looking at the stars. I would spend hours there with friends. The night this happened, Macy and I had both been at my mom's apartment, bored. My mom wasn't home. I asked Macy if she wanted to go to the field. I believe this was the first time I took Macy there, but I'm not 100% sure. By then, it was already dark out. The night was clear and warm. We sat looking at the stars, chatting about anything and everything for at least one and a half to two hours. We would have stayed longer, but the night changed. It seemed darker out than before, and it became much colder, which was extremely weird for the time of year it was. My stomach began to sink. I could tell that Macy felt a bit off too. The way home had some sidewalks, but because it was an older town, there were a lot of breaks without the sidewalk, where we had to walk on the shoulder. It had streetlights roughly every 20 feet. When you passed maybe one mile or so of houses, you would come to a traffic light that we had to cross. There was an old grocery store there that we had to pass, then at the end of its parking lot, there was white plastic fence. Someone had taken out a section of that fence, after that, we'd end up behind all the apartments, then we could walk to the very back building where my mom's apartment was. That was the plan, anyway. That road's speed limit was 45 miles per hour, and normally it's busy. I think we left the field around 11pm or midnight. We walked off the field to the sidewalk. The road was empty. Neither of us were talking then. We got directly under the first streetlight, and it just goes out. We stopped and looked at each other like... What the heck? We continued to walk on. When we were about halfway to the next light, we heard that noise lights make sometimes when they come on. We stopped and looked back, 
the light that had gone off turned back on. I believe I said, weird, and we continued our walk. Right as we got under the second light, it went off, just like the one before. I looked over, and Macy's eyes were as wide as mine. We picked up the pace now. Just as we were to the halfway mark, we heard the sound of light coming on. We ran as fast as we could. As we got under every light, the light would go off and come on as we ran away. We got to the traffic light faster than I ever had. We held our breaths then. However, those lights didn't go off. We sat and waited for the walking man sign to come on. Then we crossed. After crossing, we both quickly continued our walk. Before turning into the store parking lot, we stopped. We took a few deep breaths as we were relieved. The main street to the apartments was only a bit farther down the road. It did have some lighting, but I wasn't sure that would have mattered here. After going through the hole in the fence, we were on the dark path behind all the apartments. It was then the relief seemed to disappear. I didn't want to mention it to Macy, but I know she felt it too. We both speed walked to the apartment and slammed the door behind us. We began laughing like we beat something by shutting the door. We sat on the living room floor talking about how weird that all was and if it was just a weird experience or if we thought something otherworldly was out there. I wish that was the end. There was one of those box TVs on the ground. The TV was in front of us by the living room closet door. After 30 minutes or so, Macy and I were back to talking. Neither of us were back to normal yet, but we weren't on high alert anymore. Movement on the TV screen caught my eye. I said, hey, did you see that? Macy replied, see what? With a confused tone. I said, I think something moved across the TV. Macy seemed like she wasn't sure how to feel. Our focus went to the TV then. After a minute, we watched as a black shadow shot across the TV. This is going to sound cliche, but it looked like a robe flying, like the ones you can buy and hang from your trees on Halloween. I looked frantically across the room, but I saw nothing. My eyes locked back on the TV and I saw it again. Macy and I froze. My heart was in my throat. Now, my sister is a Christian. I sat there frozen until Macy started praying out loud, which pulled me out of my shock. At the time, I considered myself Wiccan. I remember reading somewhere that you can kick a spirit out of your home, so I yelled, Get out! You are not welcome here! Over and over. The two of us ran out of gas around the same time. Needless to say, neither of us slept that night. We were scared to leave the apartment, and scared to be in the apartment. Anywhere we had to go, we went together, including the bathroom. Nothing else happened after this, though. I regained some strength to go back to the field again, but only during the day. Thank you for listening to another unsettling episode of Unexplained Encounters. You can send us your story to have it narrated on the show at darkstories.org. Unexplained Encounters is an EerieCast original series. You can find other horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com, such as Redwood Bureau, a fictional anthology series, Freaky Folklore, a documentary-style series about myths and cryptids around the world, Destination Terror, 
a show about the most haunted places, and Tales from the Break Room, another show I host all about the scary things that happen to people at work. Again, that's EerieCast.com. By the way, if you want fewer annoying ads and you want to support what we do, consider going to EerieCast.com plus to sign up for EerieCast Plus. That unlocks all our podcasts with all but host red ads removed. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.